Do you want to find solutions that help teams make better decisions, solve problems faster and free their creative minds to come up with smarter solutions? There's a workshop for that. Bonjour, I'm Nati Ravez and I'm delighted to welcome to this show facilitators and experts who share their knowledge and experience of everything you need to know in the world of facilitation, giving you tips and tools for leading groups, sparking collaboration and driving innovation. Thank you for tuning in and let's go. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the podcast in which you'll find out about a platform full of resources and tools that will make your workshops preparations easier as well as some great revelations about the real state of facilitation in 2024. For this, I welcome a lovely young lady, Deborah Rimmoiso, who is not only an EAF endorsed facilitator, but is also one of the editors of the prestigious State of Facilitation 2024 report alongside the talented team of Session Lab. Hi, Deborah. Hello, Nathis. Thanks for that very embarrassing introduction. <laughs> it's wonderful to be on your show. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. So you are tuning in from? I'm in central Italy, in Perugia, in the countryside. And I stay in the countryside because it's a message to facilitators out there. For many young people, it's a dream to live in the countryside and work a cool job. I do it. It's possible with a lot of traveling and very good broadband. Yeah, like I'm living one time in Germany, one time in Bali. So this is possible, actually. Yes, these like lifestyles that are very aspirational are possible. You do the one in which you travel a lot. I do the one in which I'm rooted on the land a lot. But these, uh, this kind of work makes it possible for me to tend a hectare of land and facilitate. I was going to say at the same time, but it's not literally at the same time. <laughs> Today, we will talk about a lot of things. And we will talk, of course, about the report which just came out, which gives us an overview of who the facilitators in the world are, their age, their experience, their clients, but also their background. So for this reason, tell me, please, what is yours? Okay, we start with the easy questions, asking mm -hmm. a facilitator what their background is. Oh, my God. Um, yes, so I have been facilitating since 2009, which makes me, uh, I've heard the oh. word dinosaur used. <laughs> An old facilitator. <laughs> an old, it makes me an old and seasoned facilitator. I have a background in communication studies. I, I dabbled in journalism and event management. Useful event management for facilitators. Yeah. Very mm -hmm. useful. Um, and so I started facilitating in 2009 in kind of community organizing. So I soon discovered infinite meetings that never end and that you don't know what happened and you have no decisions. And I was like, this is terrible. What, was it called facilitator at that time? Hmm, is it ever called facilitator at any time? Um, <laughs> <Good question>. so, <laughs> I think it was called, uh, well, it, it, I was doing it in Italy. So in Italy for a while, a fashionable word, which is absolutely out of fashion now was, was animatore. Ah, so, animatoire. In German, it's moderatoire. In Italian, moderatore is more like 
English moderator. So the person trying to keep order in a meeting. Okay. And what I was doing was more like going into communities and helping local groups organize projects. And they called that animazione, which is very like a tourist village. I, I don't like the word, but that's what it was called. And then I discovered facilitation and all those methods at mm -hmm. that point. And I was like, this is fantastic. I'm a person who really dislikes waste. And I find that that um, wasted time and meetings, wasted energy of people was really, really frustrating. So that's one of my drivers for being super passionate about facilitation is I love people to be efficient in the projects they do and then have a lot of time for other things and other dreams and or more projects. I don't know. But that wastefulness of human energy really, really bugged me and facilitation really helps avoid it. So I've been facilitating a long time. What I'm doing now is both training mm -hmm. facilitators and training um, in group dynamics. I have the privilege of working with some universities and higher education places where I get to expose young people to This facilitation training. It's great. This is good because I know we talked about it or we messaged about it, about the fact that facilitation right now is not really part of the education of young people. And I really think that this is a skill that should be part of it. Like Agreed. And my dream used to be for there to be a facilitation faculty in university. But then I realized now it's more like I would like just facilitation to be taught in every faculty yeah, and, and also at other levels yeah. of school, of course, because it's so useful to people who are working as a team of medical professionals. Or uh, I was recently honored to be invited to talk to young wannabe lawyers because they were talking about environmental conflict prevention. And I talked about facilitation in that context. So it's useful even in places where at first, when I got a call from a law professor, I was like, what? Right. But yeah. <laughs> facilitation pops up. In, in many, many, many places. So I'm doing that. I'm teaching training. And at the same time, I am writing about facilitation, which is another great passion of mine to, you know, spread the word more. Yeah, you are writing uh, as a content writer at Session Lab. That I am uh, since a couple of years. Uh, I have to say that discovering that platform when I was starting out as a facilitator was really Like a wow, because it's like being in Alice in Wonderland. I discovered so many resources that helped me structure and design my workshops. Uh, so many ideas for activities, agendas, etc. But you are in the best position to talk about it than me. So what can what can a facilitator find on the platform? And is it only a platform? Okay. First of all, can we quote you on that? Like, can I tell the rest of the marketing team to put a little quote? This is Nathy yeah. says, you can. find the discovering session lab is like going, being Alice in Wonderland. We, we love that. She said we can. Okay. Yeah, uh, guys you can. from the you can. From session lab team, you heard her. She said we can. Uh, that's great. Okay. So I, um, I, I can, in fact, speak as, as part of a team, but it's also good to speak as, as a human being who's also a facilitator. I discovered session lab super late. I, okay. I discovered it basically when they put an announcement out that they were looking for somebody who could write and facilitate. And I was like, nobody's ever going to pay anybody for writing about facilitation. I was wrong. That's what I get paid to you do now. You got the Lucky job. Me. I was too late. <laughs> we might we might have other, you know, keep growing the platform and the tool and maybe we will need more people in yeah, our that would be nice. This is not that a promise. Nice. Um, so what Session Lab is, for those of you who don't know, don't worry. I also discovered it very late. We're not all like Nathy, who discovered it at the beginning of her facilitation journey. So uh, 
it's there to help facilitators, but also workshop designers, team leaders, event managers, you know, anybody who has to organize a session mm -hmm. or a workshop uh, to prepare, also to deliver like great workshops. And how we do that is we can simplify and say it's two parts. So there's one really easy to use software tool that's um, designed to help you prepare your sessions. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make an example to make to make this understandable, uh, which is, you know, when you are designing a program and you might want an exercise like, I don't know, a paired dialogue uh, lasting 15 minutes and you want to do it at this point and you put it in your program and then you change your mind. Or your client changes their mind. Mm -hmm. Or you have to add 10 minutes of introduction by the local mayor. And if you have to do that, with the, if, when I had to do that, with the programs I used to create, I used to use Excel. Yeah, true. Um, it then took a long time for me to reorganize the whole thing and change all the timings. But Session Lab does it automatically. You just drag and drop your, your little activity. So that in itself, to me, was, was when I got it, it was like a wow factor. And yeah. then you can do other things on the software that are super useful. I'm going to point out two that I discovered are very useful. Um, one is it gives you really nice printouts uh, mm -hmm. for clients, for collaborators, for your tech host, if you're working remotely. And it, for me, the previous in the previous life, before Social Lab life, I used to have these complicated Excel sheets that I'd have to run them through clients step by step to explain my system. And now it's visually appealing just to send them a printout for Session Lab and they can understand it on their own. I'll still run it through them, but it's much easier and more professional. And then it has collaboration features. So your clients or collaborators or co-facilitators can add comments. You can assign a task to somebody and all that kind of thing. So I'm going to do like the ad. Please try it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. And another thing, it saves all your sessions so that... If next year my same client asks me to do the same session and I have completely forgotten what I did, it's based it. on a true story, yeah. I can just go into my Session Lab account and fish it out and maybe make some changes, but it'll have all my notes and show me what I did last year that they liked so much so that I, I can change it and I can bit, but I can probably do it again. Besides this tool, then there's a lot of content. So there's a basically a library of resources for facilitators. Yeah. It's which you so like yeah. valuable it's so good made yeah yeah and some of those are individual like methods or tools many it's not just us writing them they're crowdsourced from hundreds of facilitators around the world and then there's a library of templates so ready-made sessions that you can in be inspired by which is the fancy way of saying copy or be inspired by uh, and then blog articles and posts and you know as many and, and of course the state of facilitation report yeah and there is also a community there yes thank you wow you're great you you, know, you remember yes please, there please. is also a very friendly free community with events more or less once a month sometimes more sometimes less um, where people come and discuss facilitation, give tips, take like specialized workshops with experts and also chat. Of course, it's, it's a community that there's events and then there's a community you can chat on. Plenty of people use it to ask for quick advice. You know, I'm running this workshop. What would you guys and girls do? And facilitators, I'm going to probably say this again today. Facilitators are so friendly and collaborative yeah. 
and kind. Yeah, this when is you the ask best them that question. Yeah, it's it's like, does it exist? I mean, since two years, I'm very active in several communities, but uh, facilitators club, whatever. And the people are so friendly. I mean, I really, I really hope it will stay like this. It's really so friendly, helpful, and I don't feel this competitors mindset. I, I don't feel it really, really not. Even with I, the people who are doing exactly the same with the same target clients, absolutely not. Agreed, except to the exactly the same with the same target clients. I think nobody's doing exactly the same. And I think that's why it's so, like, I do not know people. I know people who are competitive, like me, in the sense of, oh, I'm such a good facilitator, did this better the last time, but not competing with one another. Yeah. It's a super collaborative space. And, and I think it's, it, it is because there's space. It's a it's a growing profession. There's there's work to go around. Yeah. Um, of course, not for everybody every day, but there's work to go around. And because it's so personal, there's so much of a human and personal element that you can only follow a certain number of clients. And I often get requests and send them to somebody else because I might, for example, if somebody's asking me to facilitate for a company, I don't have much experience with that. So I send them to my colleagues and friends who do who do that. And yeah. there's a lot of that going going around. Yeah. I love also to be a connector. There are some facilitators who are specialized in AI design sprint, which I did also. So I know how to facilitate it, but this is not my main topic. So if I have facilitators who want to learn it, I send them to another person. Or if I have someone who would like to know more about Lego series play. I use it in my sessions, but I'm I have not learned really deep in the method. So I I love to be connected to all these people and everybody can give something of their knowledge. So I make it a big community. Yeah, yeah and and I can connect that to I'm gonna get back to this, but findings from uh, the state of facilitation report last year we discovered or got data to confirm that most facilitators work alone most of the time. It's not as common as we would like to co-facilitate yeah. and not everybody is part of a team or an agency. Most people are kind of freelancers working alone or they're like the only workshopper in their team or company if they're, if they're working in-house. So we call that finding the lonely facilitator, question mark. Mm -hmm. which led to a lot of conversations and reactions, which were like, I work alone, but I'm not lonely because the informal networks and the communities and also the formal ones, the associations and the groups of people who took a course together are of the strong support system that comes from facilitators. So we work alone a lot. This is a big generalization, but we do a big survey. So we've got big generalizations. We work alone a lot, but then we're together in community to learn and support one another. So that's, Pretty cool. If we've picked your curiosity about Session Lab, about the platform, the resources, the tools, and the community, you can pick in the show notes a little link. You can click on it and you will get an extended trial so that you can play with it and um, you can comment how you found Session Lab. Just try it. This is um, my advice of the day. And now we come to the crunchy theme. 
we will talk about the second edition of the State of Facilitation because it has just, it has just been released and I'm really, really curious to know what the big revelations and evolutions um, since last year. But first, I would like to just go back to last year because last year in 2023, it was the very first edition. So can you tell me why why did you launch this edition? How you came to this idea? And what were last year your big aha after getting all this input? Okay, let's take those one at a time. So why did we decide to do a survey and then a report on the state of facilitation? So this year's is, as you said, it's the second edition. The first edition is called State of Facilitation 2023. And it's based on results of a survey we ran at the end of 2022 mm -hmm. uh, as, as Session Labs. So what happened there is really very similar to the story of what happened with Session Lab in general as, as a tool and as a platform and as resources, which is noticing that something was missing mm -hmm. that we personally would have liked to have and going like, okay, if it's true that nobody's done that, we're, we're going to just go ahead and do it ourselves. Uh, so that is a bit of the story of, of how Session Lab as a tool was created I was, I had no idea that existed at the time. That was, I think, 2012. And Robert and Philip, who are the founders of, of Session Lab, were working as facilitators and trainers with youth. And they wanted a tool that would look better than Word or Excel or whatever they were using to design their sessions. And they were very surprised that it wasn't there yet. So they went ahead, brilliant people, and, and started working on what, what became, uh, what became Session Lab. And, In a very similar way, um, many of us at Session Lab, I think also the marketing team in general, we're often looking for data, like mm -hmm. how many people are facilitating, what age are they, you know, target data, <laughs> which which countries in the world are they, but also uh, looking for topics for, for articles. So what are they interested in? What are their challenges? What has been changing? What are the trends? And we were like, okay, so many other professions have their yearly report. Like, I don't know, UX designers out there, you have mm -hmm. your yearly report. Mm -hmm. And we were like, why doesn't facilitation have a yearly report? So we decided to try ourselves. It's not the first time this has been tried. Like IAF, so the International Association of Facilitators, which I'm also part of, did, I believe, once uh, or maybe twice uh, a survey, but much smaller And also uh, about the topic, the hot topic of pricing, which is a very exciting and difficult topic to cover in a survey. Yeah. yeah. Two heroes, <laughs> Kirsty Lewis and before her, Miriam Hannes, uh, did some pretty interesting pricing surveys, which I, I would recommend going looking for them. Um, but again, smaller, not so comprehensive, very, very interesting if you're looking at pricing. But we were looking more for like the whole thing. So that's the state of facilitation. And by the way, this was not my idea. Uh, the idea was Philip Kishis, who's our uh, chief technical officer and mm -hmm. who works on, on the data and understands the numbers, which I'm not very good with numbers, which is a weird claim for somebody who's working on a survey. But I am not. I'm better with stories and with yeah, qualitative yeah. data than, than with numbers. So we've been uh, so it was his idea. And then we've been working on it uh, together with the rest of the session lab team. Of course. Mm -hmm. So that's your, was your very a very long answer to your first question. Oh, sorry, I I put too much question in the room. 
No, I, I, yeah, I even mean, knew what you were going to ask, but now I forgot. Where, where should I go next? Now? What yeah, would the, you like the, to know more about? My, my second question was, for the first edition, as you got the numbers and uh, as you get the analysis of, the, of these numbers, what was your, your personal big um, surprise? Okay, very honestly, my personal big surprise was that more than a thousand people took the time to respond. It's nice, no? It is amazing. I, this is a very, very honest answer because I could, you know, draw out from the data. I, again, facilitators are generous and nice people. people. Yeah. This is a yeah. long survey. Okay. Yeah. It takes, out, you know, truth be told, it takes 15, 20, maybe 20 even half minutes, an hour. Yeah. 20 mm. minutes is the, is the average to fill it out. Yeah. And not only did, over like about a thousand people it was over a thousand people last year and about a thousand people this year there's maybe a little bit of survey fatigue um uh answered took the time to answer gave us feedback wrote lengthy answers in in, in the qualitative answers and many people keep saying to us how they appreciate the survey themselves themselves yeah. like itself like the survey and i'm, I'm going to spend a moment on that because that blew my mind so people appreciate spending time filling out a survey and yeah. giving us their anonymous data. Um, and they told us there was mainly two reasons for that. One is that facilitators like to reflect. So yeah. we ask questions such as, you know, what were your big challenges last year? What were your changes in your profession? Uh, which was the most interesting podcast you listened to? Hint, hint. Um and people, facilitators like to reflect back. So that was yeah. one thing. And the other one, which I really think is, is, is super interesting is that in the survey, you find questions around, for example, tools. Yeah. Um, what digital tools have you used in the past year? And a really, really a big number of people, uh, fed back to us that just reading the list was interesting. Yeah. Because, because they you got ideas. so much. I think I, I gave you also my opinion. It was like, wow, this is so cool because I never heard about this or about this. And just by feeling and clicking, I was taking notes on all the tools that were on the page and um, looking at this. So yeah, really, and, this is. And here's an insider information that I don't think is necessarily. No, we, we, we write it in small print at the bottom. So those lists are the first year they were compiled from our best ideas, but now they are based on last year's answers. So if over 1% of people added a certain tool, uh, it makes the cut to the next survey. Mm -hmm. So you see it builds on on people's knowledge. Like this year, um, visual tools appeared in the list of what digital tools have you been using, uh, like Canva and Padlet that we hadn't, I hadn't thought of, uh, but people wrote them as other this, that. And so we added them. So that's makes the survey itself interesting, apparently. So that was, that was amazing. If you don't want to miss the release of future episodes, press the subscribe button on your podcast app and don't hesitate to send us your questions or comments, which I'll be sure to answer at podcast at laworkshoppers.com. I also invite you to sign up for our newsletter called La Workshoppers Gazette to receive valuable resources on facilitation, upcoming events, podcast guests, and services offered by La Workshoppers team. What are the big revelations of this year? Of this you, year? Yeah, okay. if you had like uh, two or three categories of things that you are sure. thinking of. 
Sure. So of this year, um, well, I mean, take a guess. The big change this year has been like in every other intellectual and digital field, AI. Okay. So of course, uh, one tool that barely, I think, no, didn't even, of course, didn't even appear in last year's uh, survey and report. No, it's years. really this year. It's this year, yeah. It's like it was 20, uh, 2023 was the AI year. Yes. And of course, the report and the findings and the people's answers reflect that. So we've got a whole new section about uh, facilitators and AI with its uh, data and commentary. And I can tell you a bit about what came out of that. Um, yeah, please, please. Sure. What, what facilitators are using AI for? Aha. Yes. See, great reasons to read the report. So um, do take note now and while you're reading it that we asked these questions at the end of 2023. We'd, we'd already get different answers uh, now. And that's what's great about doing it again at the end of this year. We're going to be able to see some trends. So at the end of 2023, about one third of facilitators had not used AI at all. Oh. So that means about two thirds had well, not yeah. use the AI at all in the context of work, because we asked for your professional uh, work. So that means two thirds had. And of those two thirds, um, I think 35, I think 36% had been using OpenAI's ChatGPT, of mm -hmm. course. And what have they been using it for? So what have they been using it for? Uh, is I found it, I found that really interesting, actually. Um, mainly tasks that are around facilitation, but are not the core of facilitation, such as, for example, writing invitations to your workshop, mm -hmm. making very nice visuals for your PowerPoints. Mm -hmm. um, I thought this one was clever. Writing case studies that you're going to use in your workshop. Yeah. So all these things that are part of organizing a, a workshop session event, but are not really you know, the core work of reading the room and deciding on what tools and designs and being there with the participants and all those very, very human things that facilitators do. Yeah, it's, it's more the, for the preparation, the preparation and design part, right? Yeah, it's mostly copy. And then lots of people, of course, uh, said that they were using ChatGPT in particular as a sparring partner for ideas, yeah. you know? Yeah, that, brainstorming. That, of course, very common. Mm. There's also some like... Um, uses that I, I decided to highlight in, in our commentary of the report, even though they were very few people, but they were super interesting having to do with using AI to improve inclusion by using it, yeah, for example, as a, as a translator. Yeah. There are some very good tools for that. Um, automatic captioning, automatic summaries, and even somebody, thank you, person, all the data is anonymous, you know who you are, we don't, who said, I give my program and my notes to ChatGPT, and then I ask it, what can I do to make this more inclusive and get tips? This is good. I was not thinking about this. There's plenty of no uh, responses that people give that I would never, never have thought of. Right. Um, but AI is also uh, more and more integrated in some tools. I I'm just thinking about Storms, for example, which is yeah. another platform and that I really like. And they have include AI function so that you can use it during your sessions. I use yes. it during my sessions. I, it was in Italy, by the way. It was in Bologna mm -hmm. in October. It gave me some cards that 
started the brainstorming, I was asking the participants to do so that they had a direction. It was really, really good. So, yeah, so yeah. we have, um, with the report, on the report, you see data, you see some like comments on the data from Session Lab, which is mostly me and some colleagues. And then there's these, oh, you know this because you're one of them. There's these expert commentators. Yeah. Fun. And, yeah, and we have it. Alex from Storms. Whose yeah. surname I shall not even try to pronounce, um, commenting on, on the AI. Now, I practically like a, a negligible, negligible, uh, percentage of people responding to the survey said that they used AI regularly or in session. Cause I think we're, we were certainly at the end of 2023. I would say we're still in an experimental phase. And I interpreted that data as people are not daring to work so much in session regularly with AI, but that's already changing for sure. It would change. Yeah. <laughs> for I sure. Think. We'll see that data changing, changing. Yeah. And a few people did, m most of the people said they're using it occasionally, experimentally trying it out, but this was very early. Okay. So AI was the big revelation for the Exciting past year, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and we will see where it goes this year. Do you have other highlights, session, location? Is it uh, in person, hybrid, remote? Yeah. What are the insights? Yeah, that was uh, also, I was like very excited to ask that same question for the second year in a row, which is where have most of your sessions taken place uh, remotely, on um, in person or, or hybrid? So there's a lot to dig into that specific data. Because the basic gist of the thing is um, in-person is back. 23, there was that. And there was the mystery of hybrid. Was was hybrid going to be a thing? Was hybrid going to stay? And by hybrid, I mean workshops where some people are sharing a space and some people are jointly remotely. And that yeah. at the same time. Not, not, and it's, yeah. it's hard to facilitate. I can they tell. are super hard to facilitate. Yeah. And that surprised me that this year... Data facilitation data says 70% of facilitators have run at least one hybrid workshop in 2022. So, yeah, in, yeah. sorry, in 2023. I was one of them. Yeah. And it was, whoa, it was 40 people and two persons remotely. It's not so easy. It's hard. And it's, at least by the data, it's staying. So, various people reported in the qualitative part, so when, when they were writing down what changes, um, that their companies, this was mostly in-house facilitators, had invested in good technology yeah. for hybrids. And so there's my recommendation to companies out there. If you are working in, if you're planning to keep this hybrid thing going and, you know, have your colleagues join from different offices and have somebody facilitate their workshops, it is really important to invest in good tech, good tech for audio. Good, If you have that... And also, if your facilitator says that they need a co-facilitator or a tech host or more than one, listen to them because yeah. hybrid is tough. And I personally, Deb, I thought it was a thing that happened because of the pandemic and it was going away. Data no, says it's, it's not, not going away. It's not because the through the pandemic, uh, companies understood that they can have the talent anywhere in the world, but yeah. they still want to have some headquarter. So you will more and more have it. Yeah. And the fact is, yeah, my advice would be, of course, the technology, but uh, definitely to have a co-facilitator and definitely to have um, 
even if it's the same activity to to facilitate it differently. So for my experience, we planned that two persons in the room were connecting on a mirror board with the two persons remotes so that they had the same thing in a smaller team, but they were working remotely, giving us the, the same results, but it was really dedicating to them. We prepared the board and everything during the rest of the people who were working on walls with post-its. So it's because otherwise it's 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 really not possible. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's it's what facilitators have been saying about hybrid that you you're basically planning three things. You're planning a, a live workshop, you're planning yeah. a remote workshop, and you're planning interactions between those two or three or four <laughs> or more. So it's definitely hard. So hybrid is still happening. Uh in person is back. From the data, less, not surprisingly, really, less frequently than remote. So you have mm-hmm. more, like maybe larger international events are in person again, yeah. but smaller, like team alignment, get togethers, meetings are still and will still probably just happen remotely. So there, there was interesting to see looking at data, a difference between when we ask people for quantitative, like how many workshops are you running? It's like people are running online workshops, more or less the same number are working remotely, sometimes the same people, some people have chosen to specialize. And then when we asked qualitatively, like what was special about your year, people were like, we're back in person. Because it may have happened, maybe it happened only once or twice through that year, but it leaves a big impression. And that says a lot about when should we choose or encourage our clients to choose one over the other. So if you're looking for really that, memorable human connection yeah. you need to be in person and team but, building I, I really think you need to to yeah. be in person but then if there are other things maybe forms of training or ideas that you can do remotely so that's kind of the conclusion I think this this reached in the in the report about this is they're they're now all happening and it's about knowing when to choose what um, yeah when it's worth bringing everybody to the same place and when it's okay to be remotely and and have that. I kind of like the freedom to be in different places of the world and and work together. Another finding that was interesting and that touched about something you said earlier about how you started, something around that you started recognizing that getting teams, your your team to work together Mm -hmm. wasn't as easy Easy. uh, as as you might have wanted it to. Yeah is that uh, we noticed in, in the data an increase of um, workshops or sessions in which the content is around team alignment, team cohesion, working with teams, which of course makes sense because yeah. we have this new world of work and more and more companies or managers are realizing that a facilitator can really help keeping your team working well <laughs> together yeah. Yeah. Uh, while they adapt to maybe some of them are in the office, some of them are at home or, or maybe they're back in the office and they prefer to be at home or maybe yeah. some of them are at home, but want to be in the office. So all these new kind of organizations that ways of working together that, that weren't there before and that facilitators can and are helping more and more with. So that was also an interesting thing that we found. And then the, I guess the third big thing is about training and, and certifications. And I think that's where you also chose to focus your expert uh, yeah. commentary, isn't it? Yeah, I mentor uh, facilitators so that they can find 
what they want to do. And I think there are more and more facilitators who are giving of their experience by training other facilitators. So this is very nice. For example, Jan Keck, I think about Rachel Davis, or I think about Brittany Bowering. So there are a lot of people giving courses. Um, and about the certifications, yeah, there are people who think you need a certification to be a great facilitator. Other thing, you need to have a lot of practice plus plus maybe some, of course, knowledge and eventually a, a certification. But you have to practice to become better and better. You have to make some mistakes to adjust. What do you think about that? Ah, so I'll tell you what I think about it. But but actually, no, I won't. <laughs> what I'll do? No, what I'll do is I'll give you some data. Um, because I think that that's, because what I think about this is a very facilitatory thing to think, which is we need more conversations around this topic. Yeah. Uh, and I am, (laughs) I am so glad that, uh, through the, the state of facilitation project, uh, we as, as session lab, we get to host or encourage or challenge the facilitation community as a whole to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. For example, last year, there was a finding that is repeated this year about demographics, about there being mm-hmm. very few young facilitators, which many reasons for. And I know that various communities, including the IAF, have, have been trying to respond to that information by organizing events, by you know having conversations around it. And I think this year, besides AI, this conversation about, about certification might be one that I hope people people uh, will have. Mm-hmm. So the findings in the report are that 47% of facilitators are not certified in any way or form. No yeah. certification, no accreditation. Okay, that's a lot. That's a, that's lot. a lot. This is a, this is this is always the first question I ask to the people who are on the podcast. What is your background? And I cannot remember that someone tell, told me I have a, I am, I am certified. A lot of people coming from so different kind of background, but I am yeah. certified. For example, you are certified. I, I have accreditation. So my understanding, uh, is that is, is also about a difference between certification accreditation. People can, your, your listeners can correct me if this is wrong. So my understanding is accreditation is, you know, your stuff. And you present it to a panel or a test or whatever, and they accredit you. Yes, true. You know your stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is, in my understanding, what IAF does uh, mm-hmm. with the certified professional facilitator or the endorsed facilitator, which is the accreditation I have. Certification, as I understand it, is a proof that you took a course. Uh, so, yeah, or true. can also be a course with lots of practice hours. So. Yeah. Then it gets complicated, as everything does in this facilitation world. But the fact is, m- most is not true. 47% is not most, but a super high number of facilitators are not certified in any way or, or accredited in any way. And then we asked a new question this year, parenthesis. If you gave us feedback last year, ideas about new questions, I read them all. I read all the feedback and I tried to put as many new questions in there uh, and make as many changes as per requested. I couldn't do it all or the survey would take an hour and a half to compile. But this was a new question that came from uh, a a request uh, from from readers, which was like, let's ask 
what was the most important um, thing in your background? How, basically, how did you learn facilitation? We just yeah, didn't put it that way. Yeah, that you too. Yeah. Yeah. To become a facilitator. Yeah. And the answer is learning by doing. Um, Crazy. Huh? I, yeah. So I, I will not quote numbers from that one because it's a complicated graph because most people responded three or four things and, and they could. But almost always one of those three or four things was was learning by doing and learning by practice, which to me means facilitation is a craft that yeah. you learn by apprenticeship, yeah. by participating in, by joining communities. And then it's the discussion, I think, is about then how can a client tell if you're any good? And currently that's word of mouth, which again, that's findings. We asked uh, freelance facilitators a question around how did you find work? How did you find gigs this year? And the overwhelming majority was either word by mouth, referral by colleagues. Um, And I'm, I'm now, now I'm speaking personally, me, I'm a bit of two minds about this. I think Mm -hmm. it's it's beautiful that we're a community like that, that we know names and one another and we refer one another. And we've talked about how great that is. At the same time, I, it doesn't feel as professional as I think it could be. And I'm thinking of new people joining. Mm -hmm. How are, how do they orient in this very informal world of relationship? And, and especially I'm thinking of clients. Yeah. How, how can they tell? How can they know? (laughs) Do you know if there is any platform like a job platform extra for clients to find facilitators? I have heard about people working on this and I have also heard ourselves in session lab going oh we should do something like this (laughs) I was thinking about this uh, yesterday because I'm I'm working on the strategy of this year Um, and I was thinking there is no platform but okay this Um, is a big thing to do uh, yeah if anybody does that and it works you owe me an happy percentage yeah okay (laughs) Thank you very much, Deborah. It was such a pleasure to talk to you and you gave so much insights. And it's only a selection of all the stuff that's in the report. We ask a lot of questions, so we get a lot of answers. So, you know, sit down, download the report, read it online, send it to your friends. Um, there's, there's a lot in there. We try to make it interesting for new people, for experienced facilitators, for clients and companies as well. So if you're listening and you're considering why should I hire a facilitator there might be useful tips in there as well so So, yeah thank you very much I will of course put also the link to the state of facilitation in the show notes cool I wish you a very end of the day thank you I will go and celebrate that I'm still alive after this interview (laughs) it was easy no It is easy to talk to you, actually. But before, I was like, oh, I'm so anxious. I have a sticker on my door that says, I'm on the radio, don't disturb. (laughs) Can I tell you something? I'm invited on a podcast on Friday as a guest. And this is another story when you are the guest. I am also nervous. Oh, well, my experience is an experienced guest now. And my tip for you is don't worry. Podcast hosts are very nice. It's easy to have conversations (laughs) with So thank you very much and bye-bye, Deborah, and uh, good good continuation with uh, all the work you do for the facilitators. Thank you so much and thank you everybody for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. 
Wow, that was a longer episode this time, but with so much information, I decided not to shorten it. In the show notes, you will find the links to Deborah's LinkedIn profile, the State of Facilitation Report 2024, and a link to the Session Lab platform with an extended trial just for you. Next week, join me, Appa and Audrey for the spin-off episode Rendezvous with Les Workshoppers. In a fortnight's time, I'm delighted to welcome the founder of Consulting Kits, Baz Womerdom, who will be telling us how he taps into children's different way of thinking to help organizations solve problems through creativity. Until then, I wish you good health, success and lots of happiness. Au revoir.